I'm just testing the mic. Okay, <clears throat> we are ready to start. So welcome everybody on this, at least the sun's out today, but it's cold. It's either cold and the sun's out, or it's not so cold and it's gray and dreary and snowy. So I guess you, you, can't, you can't always get what you want, right? Oh, yes, yeah, I've seen enough. of. <laughs> it's pretty to look at, not pretty to drive in, right? Well, I'm glad everybody's here as we talk about Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But there's going to be a lot of different opinions as to what that means. His triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Not everybody there knew exactly what kind of king was coming in. And we're going to discuss the uh, complexities of how the people there go from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him. How do you... How do you make a switch like that? You know, how do you, how does your heart shift like that? Um, because they didn't understand what kind of king was coming in and what they were truly celebrating. So, uh, so I want to welcome everybody that's here and uh, everybody that's joining us via live stream as we take a look at Mark 11, 1 through 11, the text that we use for Palm Sunday. Um, so let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so grateful that you sent your one and only Son in humility uh, to come into this world and to take on the sin that we deserved. Uh, we give you thanks for his victory, which is also our victory. And we just ask that you be with us as we look into your word and give us knowledge and understanding and time of fellowship. And also be with those who are, are struggling, be with those who are ill, hospitalized, or in surgery, or lonely, depressed anxious, struggling with addictions. We just ask that you lift people up, Lord, and keep them strong in body, mind, and spirit. And we also ask that you be with those who we've had quite a few lately um, that are struggling with the loss of a loved one. We ask you to lift them up as well, uh, ease their pain and their grief, and give them hope, hope in what we're about to celebrate in a few weeks, the empty tomb. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, let me <clears throat> let me read this Palm Sunday text, and then we'll dig into it. And in my Bible, I'm sorry, this is <laughs> Faith Lutheran Church, so I got to be careful. This is <laughs> it's labeled triumphal entry right above chapter eleven. So, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, Bethpage. And Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, <clears throat> Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street in a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? 
They answered as Jesus has told them to, and the people let them go. When they saw the cult to Jesus, when they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay. So on your sheet, before we get into the specifics, uh, is there anything that we can learn about Jesus from just this short passage here in chapter 11? He knew what was coming, yes, because the people here are not shouting Hosanna, which is, let me make sure I don't have this down further on the sheet so I don't jump the gun here, which I usually do on my handouts. Okay, um, they're shouting, you know, the Hebrew form of Hosanna, which means save, which is a praise, but I don't think they know what they're shouting for. They think that Jesus is coming as a king, the Messiah, with earthly might and earthly power to deliver them from the hands of the Romans, which when you're being, when you're living under the thumb of another ruler, which would make sense that you want relief from that, but you would think their sights would be a little higher because God's promised deliverance since the Garden of Eden, I mean, that wouldn't be reduced to just getting rid of the Romans. Now, I'm not saying that I would have understood everything that was going on. I would never have expected this powerful, even though he didn't live like a king, you know, he showed his power in spurts, for lack of a better word, with miracles, um, with never being able to be tricked by the Pharisees. I mean, Jesus was a powerful man because he was God and because people followed him. That's why the Pharisees held off a lot of times in trying to get him arrested, because they were afraid of the crowds. So this is a powerful guy, and it's not someone that you would expect to come in like a king to sacrifice himself. That's not what a king does. That's not what a military ruler does. That's not what victory looks like to people here on earth. That's not what we consider victory. Oh, I'm going to walk into battle, and I'm just going to fall on the, on the enemy's sword. That's not how we do things, and that's not how we classify winners and victors, right? So people had no idea why they were shouting this. They, they thought they did. This was the king that they thought was going to deliver them, but they had no idea on how he was going to go about doing that. Dennis? Yeah. That was always the way a king would come in into a into a town in in peace. Mm-hmm. Not on a steed, not on a great big white horse and a fourteen man side or anything. He came in on a on a not only a donkey but on a colt. The smallest the smallest that he was as small as you can get. Yeah. I mean there's a lot of things uh we can learn about Jesus here. I mean, most of the stuff we know because we we know Scripture, at least we know the account, the basics of the account. 
but there's a lot of things that are revealed about Jesus right here that maybe someone who doesn't know the Bible might not understand. Like, you know, for the longest time, I didn't know what palm branches were for. I didn't know what they symbolized. But I think I have it in here. Um, it's, I won't skip ahead. <laughs> so we're learning that Jesus is a king. He's a savior. And he's receiving this praise knowing that they don't know what they're saying. Because what they're saying is correct, but their reasons for saying it are not correct. Their expectations. I preached, I've only preached on one Palm Sunday in my whole life. But um, <clears throat> well, I've only been a pastor four years of my whole life, so that doesn't really sound. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Let me add a little color to that to that statement. All right. Um, but I, the name of the sermon was Great Expectations. You know, that's our expectations of how people act and what they have done leads us to always understand how they're going to do the next thing. You know, uh, raising people from the dead, giving blind, giving sight to the blind, giving the deaf hearing, feeding tens of thousands of people with no food. This isn't someone you would expect to lay down. Because he wasn't a guy, even though he didn't live like a king, you know, wealthy in a castle or whatever, he did lots of things that no other man could do because he was God. So the expectation would be that he would handle things like a king, like a victorious king on earth would handle things with might, sweeping away all the, all the enemies of God, so to speak. He does do that, but not in the way that they expected. Okay, it says, why would Jesus tell the disciples to take a colt? No, that's okay. You said because, um, because it showed that kind of like the king came in peace instead of uh, for a confrontation. Mm-hmm. What do I have here? All right. So, <clears throat> significance of the cult. While Jesus entered as a king, he was not entering as a normal king. What do you think a typical king would ride? Yeah, some big, massive stallion steed or something, right? A war horse. Uh, he would probably, yeah, he would probably ride a powerful war horse. Jesus instead chose to ride on a, don a donkey, hardly the appropriate steed for a conquering king, and yet a donkey portrays meekness and humility. Jesus wasn't coming to conquer, but to offer peace. Even in the most triumphant moment, we see clearly Jesus' humility. We do. They did not. We do because we have the whole story spelled out to us. So they were. I don't know if the people were wondering why he was riding a colt. I don't think they they cared. I don't think that was a detail that they were concerned with. Um, I think all that they were going on was everything that they had seen and heard that he had done, and weren't paying attention that he wasn't riding in like a king on a stallion or a steed, and what the significance of him coming in humility was. Okay, so 
why did Jesus, okay, I have the, I think I asked the same question twice. What would Jesus, why would Jesus tell the disciples to take a colt? And I answered that. Why did Jesus enter Jerusalem on a colt? Um, I, th I think that it makes reference to God's plan of salvation is not man's plan. You know, I think for a moment, we talk about um, the humiliation. It's a, the, a theological term, the, the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus. Humiliation and God coming down out of heaven to take on flesh, to be hungry, to be sad, to feel pain, to walk with sinners. That, that has to be a, humble, a humiliation for a great, glorious, and holy God to have to experience those things. And he's going to top it all off by allowing himself to be subjected to what ends up being pathetic, illegal trials, handed over to his own people who are going to ask for him to be crucified, and allow that to happen. And once in a while, he'll drop those hints. You know, you'd have no power over me if it weren't given to you. I'm allowing you to do this to me. I don't have to. But he does. Because that's God's plan of salvation. It wasn't man's plan. Remember Jesus' words to Peter, the Son of Man must be uh, suffer and after three, and be put to death and after three days rise again. He's like, oh, no, Lord, never. And he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because he was thinking of the things of man, the way man would do things. And he was saying God's plan, his way of saving man, was not right. But he didn't really know what he was saying. So Jesus is coming in humility the first time. Uh, I remember I was talking to uh, Pastor Dan about why Jewish, the J Jewish religion um, doesn't see Jesus as the Messiah. And one of the reasons was that uh, he had shared some, a book with me. I can't remember the guy's name. But the, the point was that they had, he said that they had mixed up first coming prophecy with second coming prophecy. So if you think of some of the things that talk about Jesus coming back the second time, you know, with power and with might to take back what's his, this is not the Messiah you would expect to see coming in. So that, that made sense to me. I don't think that's the whole thing of why, why they don't believe that Jesus is the, is the Messiah. But it, it, it does make sense that it's one of them. And it would make sense that that is why the people expected some kind of power and might. And when Jesus did what he did, they, they couldn't understand it. And they didn't want him to do that. This is interesting. How does Jesus refer to himself in verse 3? Let me read this to you. Let's see if you catch it. If anyone asks you why are you are doing this, tell him the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Capital L. A lot of times we see in the Bible there's Lord, my Lord, but they're talking just, that was just a title you called somebody, but not this one. This is, I think, in the Greek. If, Marty? Oh, okay. You mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, God doesn't need anything from human beings. I think that the context here is Jesus saying, let them know 
that God is asking for this and they won't have any problem giving it to you. His reasons for, for wanting it, probably just a statement of humility, but I, I don't know. But you're, you're right. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need um, to be taken care of. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't, there, you know, he lives, basically, when Jesus is living, eating and drinking and breathing, he's living on his own provision, you know? He's eating his own food. I don't mean food that he bought. I mean, he is, he's eating the fruits of his own creation, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Um, but here, I think what he's saying is that you tell them that the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, which is what that word means, wants that cult, and they'll be okay with it. Jesus, he makes these little statements once in a while, and you've got, it's hard to catch sometimes, but he's saying, I'm God. He accepts praise. And I, I was doing a, we have the Ask the Pastor. It's for, we do it on Wednesdays for the kids. And we, I, I did a, a presentation about angels. Just kind of a short discussion. And uh, we were talking about uh, how, you know, the angel of the Lord, I won't get too deep into this because it gets, it gets kind of confusing, is a manifestation of the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament. In other words, there was a time, there was never a time when the Son of God did not exist, but there was a time when God was not in the flesh. So Jesus is eternal, but he hasn't always been a man. And so the point is Jesus is referring to himself as God. I am God. And they should have no problem giving you this cult. Okay. And I got why, what is ironic about how the crowds reacted. Well, you know, they're pumping their fists. They're celebrating victory, having no idea that he is about to walk to his death willingly. Okay. So we have Jesus sent the disciples to get the cult. He demonstrates his omniscience. That means his all-knowingness. Jesus knows they're going to be okay with them giving the cult. Jesus knows that these people aren't going to understand what he's truly there to do. Um, he wasn't good. At, he wasn't just guessing. You know, God, Jesus knows all things. And when he, It's funny when he talks to people sometimes how he talks to them in absolutes. You know, what do I mean by that? Like if I were to come up and say, Dennis, and start saying his personality and the way he acts at home, and th- things that I couldn't possibly know. Like when Jesus talks to that Samaritan woman at the well. Oh no, you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. Can you imagine? I mean, someone coming up to you and knowing your whole life and there's like, no, how could they know that? Little, little times like that, Jesus shows that he's all-knowing, but he doesn't always act like that. Like when the woman when the woman touched his cloak and he shouts out, well, who, who touched my cloak? As if he didn't know. But I think that was for the benefit of the people there. So, because there's very clear prophecy with many details here. All of them came true, just like he said, 
and he was telling them to take the colt or borrow. He knew the owner would ask what was going on. The disciples could then get permission. And this, in this fact, what and this is in fact what happened. Um, and I've got a note here, Psalm fifty ten. Didn't have that in your. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. So there you just see that Jesus couldn't instruct someone to steal, as you said, Marty. Everything's already his. So he can't steal what belongs to him. You can't steal your own belongings, I don't think. <laughs> The owner of the colt did not resist helping, uh, offering to hold back. He offered what he had with an open hand. This is what God, uh, this is some application here, stuff that I read, and we can discuss whether or not it's, it's, it's reaching or not. This is what God expects of us as his stewards. If you were the owner, would you have offered the colt? I get this stuff just kind of to spark a little conversation to see how far people reach into the text sometimes. Obviously, this is a hard question to answer. Do you offer what you have now to God with an open hand, or do you hold it back? Everything belongs to God anyway. Like you said, Marty, whatever you have has been given to you to manage for, the, for God's glory, not your own ambitions. I think that's, that's well said. I don't necessarily know if that's, if all that's going on with the, with the taking of this cult here. I think the whole point of is to show humility and the fact that they wouldn't understand that their king is riding in on something that a king would not ride in on. And the term Hosanna, which we kind of boil down to Hosanna, means save us now. And so that's what they expected. They expected deliverance now. They expected earthly deliverance now. We won't be under the thumb of the Romans. I don't know that they looked much more to it than that. Maybe they didn't quite understand what other kind of deliverance that, that Jesus would give. You know, John the Baptist kind of told the people, he's here for the forgiveness of sins. But putting all these pieces together as you're living in it, you know, that's, that, that's not easy. Doing it when the story's all told to you in a book makes it easy for us to understand. But while you're in the middle of it, you can't put all the pieces together. So we see Jesus' omnipotence showing his all-knowingness. Um, okay. And I've got what kind of king and deliverance were they celebrating? The whole, whole time they had the wrong idea of a king. Because what do they say here in uh, verse 10? Blessed coming kingdom of our father David. And you know how they thought about David. David was a conquering hero. David was a king who swept enemies away. Okay, it was God who gave him the strength to do that. But David was a warrior. David conquered people with might and with violence. So this Messiah was going to do much of the same, right? That was their expectation. That was their great expectation. That would be my expectation. I want you to think about it. You know, this guy that raised people from the dead and did all the amazing things he did. 
just to lay down like a land of the slaughter? No way. That That's your plan? That's why you came to earth? To let these men spit on you and beat you and put nails in your hands? Poke holes in your sides? Because that's how we think. We never, you know, that's not how we win things. And the disciples, even though he told them again and again, and he had to he had to tell them over and over again, they couldn't accept this. They couldn't process that. Okay. So how does it go from shouting the praise of Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify him? Because that is indeed what happens. You've got the shift. Oh, pumping their fists, you know. Victory, victory, victory. And when it did not come about, even though all this was done to fulfill prophecy, okay, everything that happened to Jesus here is to fulfill prophecy. Um, and I don't want to say that in, in a manner that means like everything is, um, I'm not going to use the word predestined. Like every, it was just their fate. It was just fate that it was going to happen this way. Um, but everything that's happening here, and we'll get to some of the Old Testament verses here that refer to this moment, is prophesied. Jesus fulfills every single prophecy about him in the Old Testament. You know, on that road to Emmaus, he shares all that with the guys that he's walking with, and then they finally realize who he is, um, that he is the fulfillment of every promise God made in the Old Testament. So everything is happening for God's purpose. But, okay, even though we know it's going to happen, and it's happening for God's purpose, and that his own people would hand him over to be crucified, how does a shift like that happen? When they're pumping their fists, celebrating this man coming into Jerusalem to, to wanting to set a criminal free and have him crucified. How do they go? How do they shift like that? Yeah. Were they were they truly the naysayers there at the end? Or, because the, the what the Pharisees had no power to have him executed, but they were pushing, screaming for Rome to have it done because he had uh, he claimed himself to be a god. Because the, the Romans had they didn't care if he blasphemed God's word because they didn't have any use for that, so they couldn't use that to have Jesus crucified. But if he broke Roman law, that's how they got him on the cross. And that's that's how God wanted it. So, but I think it's. I mean, obviously there were disciples there that, disciples not of the twelve. I mean, disciples, followers of Jesus that never left his side that weren't saying crucify him, crucify him. But I think there were probably more people than just the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that were saying that. He, the Pharisees went to the Roman government and said, this man claims to be a king. Caesar's the only king. 
And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. But they, you know, they, that didn't, he, they couldn't make any sense out of that. That's why Pontius Pilate had such a, was so wishy-washy in his decision-making. You know, that's why he said, well, if you want to kill him, you have my blessing, but I'm not making the decision. I mean, you know, like, oh, then, then his blood is not on my hands. Yeah, right. Oh, if that helps you sleep at night, you know. Um, so, yeah, they wanted, they, they were trying to convince Rome that Jesus was saying he was a king or he was somebody equivalent or greater than Caesar, which would be punishable by death by Roman law. Saying he blasphemed and said he was God, they could care less about that. Well, he goes around, you know, healing people on the Sabbath and, and claiming to be God and accepting praise uh, as God, uh, not as a king. But yet the Romans wouldn't care, but they would care that he claimed to be a king. Because he doesn't really answer the question. It doesn't go like, so are you a king? And he said, it, it, you have said so. They could never get out of Jesus what they wanted to. They wanted him to say the things they wanted him to say. It's kind of like a courtroom where you're trying to make a witness or somebody say something you want him to say, and they just won't do it. I mean, and what, like what, how did they, and when they were trying to trick him about the taxes, you know, when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. I, that's one of my favorites, so. Okay, so this moment is prophesied. One of them is in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So all of this, yes, is to symbolize his humility, coming in humbleness and willingness to lay down his life, not to sweep everybody away with an iron hand, but it's also to fulfill this prophecy right here. This is a first coming prophecy. Right? This is not how Jesus will return in trip number two, riding on a donkey. Um, righteous and having salvation and riding on a colt. You know, have you ever wondered? I mean, it's... The Pharisees had the Old Testament, or what was written up to the point of when Jesus came into the world, and they knew it word for word. They could read these prophecies. Um, you would think they would start to see some connection. It's easy for me to say. You would think the people would start to see some connection, because it's talking about the prophecies are about everlasting kingdoms and about salvation and about being right with God. I, does anybody think that the, the people the whole time were confusing that kind of deliverance, an eternal deliverance with an earthly one? You don't think so, Dennis? Fair enough. Yeah. Being delivered from sins, I want you to think about it. Being delivered from sin, what purpose does it have if you don't have life after this one? Who cares? That's why uh, the Sadducees always 
baffled me. You know, and I, I say this all the time. You know, Paul said, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we're to be pitied above all men. Life really has no meaning if it's not true. If there is no life beyond our earthly life, it, it, this serves no purpose. I'm going to worship a God. I'm going to bow down. I'm going to live a life a certain way by certain rules just to die and dry up as ashes and blow away. Doesn't make any sense. You might, I mean, the mindset might be, you know, we might as well get what we can while we can any way we can if we're just going to be, as, as the group Kansas would say, dust in the wind, right? If that's, if that's what we're destined to become. But Jesus came for something much greater than that. And, and I'm baffled here because I don't think they understand that there's something so much greater than earthly deliverance. Because when you see death, and I'm sure they saw death a lot more than we do every day, you know, tomorrow's promised to nobody. So, I mean, if you are, something happens and you die, then what's it all mean? So my point is this, I don't, I'm, I'm a little confused as to why they were only putting their, their uh, eggs in the basket of earthly deliverance. If he just gets us away from the power of the Romans, then what? That, I mean, that's pretty short-sighted for God's promised Messiah. Because they had faced a lot of different rulers over them besides just the Romans. comes to you righteous and having salvation. Righteous, meaning without sin. That perfect lamb without blemish. That's what made Jesus the perfect sacrifice. He never had no sin. That's how the, uh, the lamb in the Old Testament had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect. That, that, that thinking where, that is totally opposite ours, where the innocent has to be sacrificed for the sake of the guilty. We don't see, we're just the total opposite of that. It's the guilty who get punished, not the innocent. So an innocent, blameless, all-knowing, all-powerful Jesus is about to walk willingly to his death. Because I've had people ask me before, um, maybe you've wondered this yourself, Jesus is not the first man or the last to willingly die for someone else. So, Because that's, as pastors and as people, that's, that's kind of how we condense it, right? Jesus died for your sins. He is not the first or the last to die, to willingly die for the sake of someone else. So what makes him special? Yeah, Ken. That's true. Yeah, that's... Now, that's... You know what, Ken? I've never heard it put like that. That's excellent. Ken said that if, if a soldier on a battlefield, he is giving his life usually for someone, a specific set of people right there. Instead of Jesus uh, giving his life for the eternal salvation of everyone who believes. And I think that's important. I, I had never thought of it that way. 
when I, I tried to explain it um, by, by saying, well, number one, none of us are innocent. None of us are deserving of God's blessings, the life we have here or the life we get after. But Jesus was perfect, innocent, and blameless, and had the power to stop his death and had the power to do anything he wanted and went to the cross anyway. I, we don't always have the time or the ability to, to shed light on the gravity of what Jesus is doing here when we just say, well, he, just, he died on the cross. Yeah, like he's not the first or the last to die for somebody else. He is the only perfect man to die on behalf of guilty people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he knew that he was going to rise in three days. You know, and he willingly went, but Jesus did experience fear. I'm thinking of the song that that Steve put in, uh, I think it was Ash Wednesday, can you drink this cup? And when he's in the garden, what's he asked his father to do? Take this from me. I can't bear it. That's, that's what that boils down to. I don't want to do this. It's too hard. It's too much. Because the human being part of him, because he was, I won't get too much into this because it's too, too hard to understand. He's full man and full God at the same time. So he feels pain, fear, and the gravity of what is about to happen to him. And it can't just be about a normal death. Bearing the sins of every man, woman, and child that had ever lived has to be something that we can't fathom. Something that would bring God to say, take this cup from me if you are willing. If you're willing to have me not do this, please take the suffering from me because I don't want to be able, I don't want to have to handle it. But... This is why I don't like praying this. I do it, but I don't like it. Your will be done, not mine, because I always some I always think, you know, what God wills is not what I got in my head for what should happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That why when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, yes, I think that was a plea or, or a cry that God had truly abandoned him on the cross for the, for the punishment of sin. Um, I think it's also a fulfilled prophecy. I think, that's, um, I think that statement, and I don't remember, I'm not a chapter and verse kind of person, if you haven't learned that by now. Um, but we hear the, what I think it's the Aramaic, the Eloi, Eloi, Lama Salaktani, which is in the Old Testament. And he's, I don't think, and I don't think Jesus is just saying that to fulfill a prophecy with no meaning. I think he truly means, I feel hung out to dry, lost, alone, and forsaken for the sake of all these people. Yes. Was this the Mel Gibson movie? The Passion? Yeah. yeah. Um, the song that, that 
Those are good words. I, I say that again. I, I never knew how much it cost to take my sins upon the cross. I think that those are excellent words of wisdom that we don't truly comprehend. That it, This is not just a man giving his life for someone else. That's, that's simplifying it a little bit. This is way beyond that. It's an innocent man, a completely innocent man conceived in holiness, and he is God walking to his death with the power to do everything to stop it, to save man in another way, but he chooses to do it in humility, being murdered by his own creation, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And he also is fulfilling this prophecy. Okay, and then we have Psalm 118, 25 through 26, Lord save us, which is translated Hoshana. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, from the house of the Lord, we bless you. Okay, now if I was to ask anybody, and you people, if you're at home, think about this too. If you ask the Lord to grant you success, what comes into your mind? I'm, I'm guessing it's not this scenario here. I don't know exactly how success is translated, you know, in the original language. Maybe it's not that word. Uh, but grant us success. That would sound like earthly kind of things being wished for, right? Financial. Yeah, financial success. Deliverance from pain and suffering, uh, which we all get one day, but not in the form that we always think. You know, um, sometimes answers to prayers for somebody that's, that's gravely ill is uh, going to the Lord. And those of us that miss them, don't we don't see that. I think in our hearts we know it's a blessing, but it's still painful. It's a painful way for God to answer that prayer. Um, but I think when we hear, yes, Marty? Yeah, I think he was extremely afraid. This is what I think, though. I don't think Jesus was afraid. This is, and I will always tell you when I am talking out of something that's not stated in the text clearly. This is my thinking. I don't believe Jesus said, take this cup from me if you're willing, because he was afraid of the physical pain. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe as a man he was. Um, I think it was more... Uh, a knowledge, the knowledge that he had of being God, of how bad it was going to be to be abandoned and to suffer the punishment of all sin, even for a short time, to feel God's condemnation and wrath. Something, I'm sorry, as Christians, we're never going to feel because he did. I think it's something more spiritual and intangible that he was in agony over than just the physical pain and being spit on and beaten. I, that might have been part of it, 
but I think it was think that these sins, this this wrath, this being handed over and and forsaken is something I can't bear in my heart, in my spirit. I can't I can't I can't bear the sins of the whole world. I can't take the punishment for every man, woman, and child that's ever lived. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hell is the sort of mansion by God, so that is a mansion where mm-hmm. he is on his throne with him forever. But even if he takes uh, and abandons God, that could be a that could be a great judgment. I think when he descended into hell, and you know what's weird, we have that in our creed, and most of our creed. Um, the Apostles' Creed is not based off vague, short text, but this one is. When Jesus went in to preach to the spirits in prison, but it was to proclaim victory in hell, not not to experience, uh, yes. Jesus was, that was the victorious second coming Jesus that was down there. Yeah, Dennis? Psalm, okay. I, I thought it was a psalm. I did not want to say it. I didn't want to guess and be wrong. But yeah, I think it's first or second. Is it first or second Peter, where it says Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison, uh, proclaiming victory to the devil and demons. I, it was not that was an exaltation. In other words, that Jesus was not in, hum, in humiliation anymore. He had conquered death, and he was letting them know that was kind of a Jesus in your face thing. But it's very vague, and it's very short. Usually we don't make creeds and confessions on things that are mentioned only like once like that in a very obscure way. Um, I wish I had that verse on me, but I, it's in First or Second Peter. I can't remember which. Second Peter, I think. But yeah, I, I, think, I think it was more of a spiritual thing. You know, I always used to, I've said this over and over again, um, I always used to be worried because, you know, in Exodus, I think Exodus 34, 32, 34, um, it says God will never leave sin unpunished. So I always thought that meant I had to look over my shoulder. But what Jesus is about to walk to willingly, that's where it's punished. That doesn't mean we have to look over our shoulders or God's going to get you for everything that you've done. Oh, you messed up. God's going to get you. You're not, you're going to pay for that. No, it was paid for by what Jesus did. And I think paying for all that for everybody and knowing that that's what was going to happen to him was overwhelming for him as a man, as a human being. Because, you know, think about your, your lives. Um, physical pain is awful. I get it. Uh, but you think of sometimes the mental and the spiritual ache that you have over things that you have no control over and this gets confusing because you think Jesus well why how could he not have had control over this and God could have chose a painless way for his son to redeem man but he did not but sometimes those spiritually and mentally draining things in our lives are a lot, are more painful than a broken bone or a sore back or something like that that's the anguish I believe Jesus was struggling with at that point. Knowing what it was all going to look like and feel like ahead of time. Uh, 
Have you ever heard those polls where people are asked, do you want to know, would you want to know the time and date that you were going to die? I would not. Because I think people are under that impression, oh, I would go out and do this and this, and I would get everything in order, and I would hang out with my, you know, if you had children or your grandkids. But I don't know that it would necessarily work out like that. I think you would be looking at the days and counting down like a clock to execution, you know. <laughs> Time to go. Dead man walking. Yeah. <sighs> that, that You've got to look inside how I would feel if I knew. That wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't work for me. Ignorance is bliss sometimes. And Jesus had no ignorance. So imagine what that was like for him as a, as a man, flesh and blood. Um, okay. What else do I have here? The palm branches. Palm branches symbolized victory and triumph. That's why we wave them. Now, we're celebrating a completely different victory than they were. We're not celebrating blessings on earth. We are not celebrating uh, our bank accounts or the fact that we live in America and we're free and the fact that we're, you know, the strongest country in the world. I mean... Militarily, financially, you know, we're living here, we're, we're tough. That's not what we're waving palm branches for, that God has, you know, made us this, this superpower in the world. We're not waving palm branches because, you know, we have money in the bank or we have nice cars or we have nice houses. That's not what we're celebrating. I, I'm not saying that's what they were celebrating, but they were celebrating earthly things, whatever that meant to them. This man was going to give them the earthly deliverance they expected. And who knows what individually what that meant to each person who was waving it, saying Hosanna. But we do it to celebrate the fact that this life is not the end. And him riding to his death is what made that possible. Because in the garden, Adam and Eve had a perfect, unbroken, unblemished relationship. And they walked with their creator with no problem. You think of all that, that stuff that the priest had to go through to walk into the Holy of Holies to clean this and wash that and fold that. Adam and Eve just walked around hanging out with God. Perfect. They didn't have to worry. I, I don't mean to diminish it by saying it so leisurely, but they didn't have to worry about the frighteningness of God's holy presence because there was no pain there was no sin. There was no separation from God at that point. But once they did what God asked them not to do, that's when we needed deliverance. And that's what's happening right here. And when we got that, we know how the historians and we're waving those palm branches, not just for that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, not because just not just because Jesus went to the cross for our sake, because we know that he wasn't going to stay dead. Now, when I think, when I'm waving him, I think about he is risen. I know that hasn't happened yet in our scenario of Lent, but that's why I'm waving it. Victory, that kind of victory. Victory that if our life ended today, that that's not the end. But we have the hindsight. We have God's word to tell us 
everything we need to know. You know, they, they didn't. Now, they had God with them. I don't know which I'd rather have. To walk with Jesus himself or to have the spelled out for me like this. I guess everything happened the way that Jesus wanted it to happen, but I, I'm not guessing. I'm sure it did. So that's what we are celebrating. And I've got here, Jesus often did the unexpected, and this account is no different. Victory and humility and sacrifice, not might and power, not yet. That's not our style, but this was God's perfect plan of Hoshana, which means to save. Saving us now. And when Jesus said, it is finished, that's all it took. That means it's done. There's no more price to be paid. There's no more to live up to. There's nothing else to be done. Deliverance is complete. So your belief in what Jesus did right then, right there, is enough. I think when we start to talk about, um, oh, i got to give you time to get up to service, don't I? I think when we, we, I'll just end with this. I think when we start talking about uh, living out our faith and doing what's, what the Spirit drives us to do, um, sometimes we think that some of the burden lays on us to get to heaven, to be with our Heavenly Father. But when Jesus says, it is finished, that's what God had done. Him walking out of the empty tomb, that's what God had done. In our faith, in that, our trust in that, is what makes us right with our Heavenly Father. All right. Well, thank you, everybody.